Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, regardless the type of business that you're in or that you lead, you're probably finding that you're interacting more and more with technical people. And by technical people, I mean engineers, programmers, data scientists, artificial intelligence experts, or any variations on those themes. And today, we want to equip you as a business leader to ask the right questions, to bridge the communication gaps, and to have the confidence in understanding what it is you need without having to turn you into a technical advisor or get a technical degree. And by the way, if you are a technical specialist, we also want to help you understand how to better communicate your key decisions or the key factors to your business leaders, bringing those two together, particularly in a world where digital quote-unquote, seems to be the word of the day. Although, as I have been informed, that's the old word. We shall see as we go forward. My guest today is Amon Argwal. Amon is founder and president of Senprem Transnational, the world's first executive education company and a passionate teacher and writer. He's previously an engineer working on self-driving trucks in Silicon Valley. And besides engineering, he has also uh, built a B2B, been a B2B sales executive in two tech companies, both worth over a billion dollars each. So, I mean, you've been on both sides of the equation in this one, the technical person, the business starter, the business leader, and the salesperson. So, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. All right. So, now tell me, why do you care about this topic, about helping business leaders understand technology? and speak better to their technical folks. Thank you. Well, um, to start with, I think, so I've been doing a lot of interviews with a lot of uh, chief technical officers and chief executive officers of, from different industries. Um, and I'll um, tell you about two specific incidents. Um, one of them was when I was talking to a CTO of a healthcare technology company. And she told me that I asked her that over the last year, how much time have you spent um, on just explaining your decisions to your non-technical CEO and co-founders, right? How much explaining and convincing have you had to? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first number she gave to me right up was 25%. 25% of her time as a CTO was spent explaining and convincing the, te- the non-technical co-founders about you know, what she was doing and why. Um, and I saw the sad look on her face <laughs> when she said that, because that was the first you know, number that popped into her head. Uh, but it was quite telling because it seems like there is a huge gap and it's not the first time I've heard a number like that, right? And then another anecdote is when I was talking to another CTO, um, and their company started out being not as technical tech oriented. They were just an app, but over time they became more and more technical because, uh, the power of technology and AI was, you know, just, uh, like, well, we need to 
pivot the business into being more AI focused. Um, and the and the non technical CEO was again still like wasn't really savvy with the new technology and what was really possible going forward uh, as they tried to capture new markets. And towards the end of my interview, I asked the CTO, um, looking forward, does it really seem like, uh, do you think you're the real CEO of the company? And within a fraction of a second, he says, yes, I would say that. Um, and both of these incidents are pretty recent. And uh, to come back to your original question, I think as every company slowly becomes a technology company, becomes a digital company, if you don't have the technical savvy, if you don't, if you aren't able to be on the same page, you know, in the old days, if you're an, a CEO and you don't understand how the basics of, of like accounting works or the basics of marketing and market estimation and operations, you can't really be a CEO of a business, right? You can't really lead a company unless you have some understanding of these things. And now since every company is becoming more and more tech oriented, it's the same with technology. You don't have to be an accountant yourself the same way you don't have to be an engineer yourself. But if you don't speak the same language, if you don't understand the big moving parts and the, the, how, the why and the how at, a, at least a high level, you're kind of being phased out by the nature of the market, right? And that's, um, and it, it also goes the, the opposite way where tech experts, technical people uh, have always been frustrated with people who are managing them, are important stakeholders, but cannot really grasp um, what is feasible, what is realistic, how much things cost and why. Uh, that some things cannot be done in five days. They take five months. Uh, so it's really, I think there's a lot of pr a problem in the sense that it's frustrating for both sides, right? And it leads to a breakdown of trust in a lot of these communication scenarios where somebody feels like the other side is looking down on them or don't, doesn't trust them enough. And it just, I think it's, it, of course, there are many things that go wrong in a business, but given my background, I've been an engineer and I've been uh, a business guy. Uh, this is something that I find the most fascinating that I can actually do something about. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry for the wrong answer. Um, it's an the, important the answer, yeah. topic because yeah. it's clear that every organization, including ours, is more and more influenced by technology as time goes on. And I suspect that that's only going to get to be more so. So it's fair that if I'm a leader of a business, I need to have some sense of the technology. Okay, I get your point. And not having a technical degree or not becoming a program um, engineer or whatever, computer programmer, data scientist, I often can miss some of the details. But let me be slightly controversial with you. Sure. I get that technically oriented people really enjoy being managed by a technically savvy manager because then mm -hmm. I can take my details to that manager and say, I'm having a problem with this particular problem. What do I do about it and how do I fix it? And I've got mm -hmm. a sparring partner to work. So engineers, computer programmers don't like reporting to general managers. Just not fun. They want somebody who's technically competent. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I have a whole podcast for multiple years and a book talking about how do you lead when you're not the expert. Mm -hmm. So I believe, even though engineers might like to be led by an engineer, that it is possible for somebody who's not an engineer to lead the engineers. Yep. You can't yep. leave, lead from a place of knowing nothing. You have to lead from a place of knowing a little bit. So you're in agreement with me. This sounds okay. Absolutely. Yep. 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 So what does a manager need to know in order to be an effective leader of engineers or programmers? How much? Tell me, tell me the basics. What do we need to understand? Well, the analogy I like to use, and I completely agree with you. And the analogy I usually use to describe it is if you're a homeowner, right? You're building yourself a new house. You hire an architect and a, con- a bunch of contractors to build it. And you, um, they come to you with the budget and the estimations. And uh, you don't have to have a degree in architecture or a degree in construction or civil engineering mm-hmm. to manage these people, right? Now, there's one end, one end of the spectrum where you're like, I need a place to poop and I need a place to sleep and I want a water park and a swimming pool in my kitchen. Um, that's one end of the extreme where it's complete ignorance. Like the experts have nothing to, there's, there's no way to bridge the gap because they don't, because you're just so ignorant about the whole you know, process mm-hmm. right, of right. engineering. And the other end of the extreme is micromanagement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, I think most homeowners don't fall into that category unless they're architects themselves. The sweet spot is where you can help the experts help you, right? So you understand what you need overall. You're saying, oh, I have a family of four and I need a kitchen that's relatively big because I love cooking and I need bathrooms a certain way and I need the bedrooms this way and I'm open to your inputs uh, and ideas. I understand the basics of how what a house is, how a house is built, and what goes into building a house um, and construction. I know the basics, so I know where some a request is unreasonable or reasonable, and I know when when I'm being lied to or you know just some funny business going on. And I can guide you if you have questions, right? If the architect says, "Hey, do you think we should do this or we should do this with the house?" I can give you my inputs from a homeowner's perspective mm-hmm. and you can guide me and we can t- talk it out, you know, the homeowner and the architect and the con- contractor. Like we don't need the, the marble to be imported from Italy because I know that's out, outside my budget. So if you come to me with that proposal, I'm going to reject it because I know right. we don't need marble from Italy. So it's again, it's about the level of technical fluency depending on the goals, right? If I'm running a semiconductor manufacturing business, of course, as a CEO, I need to be super technical, right? And so it's really about knowing the big moving parts that are relevant to you so you can act as an internal customer and uh, just guide them with your requirements, guide them um, with requirements and know what's feasible, know what's impractical so that they can coach you, right? You have to be coachable. You have to be teachable by the technical experts, regardless of industry, whether you're in mechanical or civil or, you know, bioengineering or software. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. I love the analogy of I hire an architect to build my home and I don't have to get an architectural degree to have some sense of this is right or wrong or within budget or outside of budget. But I do have to learn to rely on my architectural engineer. I can't second guess them completely. So that that analogy works for me. And I love the idea that as a business leader, 
I am an internal, hopefully savvy consumer of my technology, that I'm not just a blind, I'll take anything you give me, and nor am I over trying to overmanage it. All right, fine. So how, what do we need to know? Like, give us guidelines on what a leader, what are the big moving parts that a leader needs to understand in order to help make the right decisions? Well, um, the big moving parts are, you need to be able to, so the goal for the moving parts is you need to be able to go to a whiteboard with an engineering lead and draw an architecture for the software system that you're trying to trying to accomplish together, right? So this means you understand um, the different functional building blocks of software, like what is a client, what is a server, what is a backend, what is a database. And it's really not like not just knowing the definitions, but more about how they relate to each other, the concepts of, uh, for example, all software is the same, right? To be honest with you, all software is the same. It's just about how you separate different components of the software earlier you would have to run it you know in the floppy days or the cd days you would have to buy a piece of software burned on a disk and install it on your computer the computer your your pc acts as the back end and the front end right for example uh, and the database and everything is just completely on your machine you're not connected to the internet now you the software actually runs on a separate computer somewhere in the world Right, that's the back end, so, so to speak. And just like you open a Google page and you can search something, you only get the results, the front end on your computer, which could be even a small smartphone uh, through a web browser. So you've essentially separated what goes on in the back end and the front end using the speed of the internet. You know, it's like if you're at a restaurant and you want a really good meal, um, instead of having um, all the ingredients and the cooking items delivered to your home so you can cook it yourself, you have a super uh, fast um, super highway and the restaurant can cook it and deliver it to your home right. and you just play it in and eat it, right? So okay. that is one so, kind of a concept. All right. So backend is where the, any software is going to run. It's function, how it's going to do its stuff. And for most of us in these days, that backend happens away from whatever device I'm using to consume the information that comes to me. And the front end is what I consume, what's in front of me that I can see on whatever device I'm using. Okay, so I got back end and front end. And then database is just where the information that I'm accessing to do something with is stored, located. And there's a bunch of issues around size and around accuracy and all those have to be accounted for. Okay, great. How does client and server fit into this equation? Yeah, client and server are more jargon terms, but essentially a, a server is a part of the backend and the client is usually, you know, again, the words, again, change meaning and, and people use them differently, but it's basically the device you use. You're the client. So if you're going to facebook.com and facebook.com is serving certain data to you, right? Because they're the kitchen, and they're serving you a meal, which is the data and the, um, the Facebook user interface, you as a client could come through a web browser or you could come through a mobile app. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of you are different clients f- 
from Facebook's point of view, right? Different front ends or different clients and so to be. So again, it's, there's a lot of jargon and, but it's really just about concept. I think the jargon people can pick up very quickly if they understand the real underlying concepts, right? The jargon keeps changing as well. So what I would like to do then as a business leader is to have a flow chart. Yeah. As I understand this, where I understand what's the data we have, where it's resourced, who's accessing it, how are they accessing it, what is happening to it, not what is happening, but where is that thing happening to it, and then how is that being delivered to me when I've got multiple devices and multiple offices and locations and so on that I want to get delivery. If we can get that flow chart of what's happening in the software, that's where the big decisions are that I need to know. So I need to know about speed, I need to know about accuracy, and I need to know about how easy it is to change any components of that. And ostensibly, I need to know a change in one part of the value equation impacts the rest of the value equation. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you have to do on the whiteboard. If you understand that much, you are so much more coachable by the engineers. And you are, it's like you strip away all the jargon and all the uh, you know, BS and just the pristine equation of you know, whatever is really happening in the business, in the technology on a whiteboard, crystal clear. And then you can add details and texture as you want, like what kind of database, how many clients, how many front ends and how much data, like, you know, that is all detail, but it's really about the bare bones. Um, That's the basic. Yeah. Okay. I often say to people when you're learning, my belief, my philosophy is when you're learning a new area, whatever it is, if you get the big buckets of categories, like if you know what the categories are and how they connect to each other, then I can add substance in each of those categories. But until I know the categories, I have nothing to hang information off of. Yep. often complained in educational systems for students and, you know, primary education all the way through to college. We don't teach people enough the category structure. They presume they'll get it themselves. So you're saying the same thing to me. Yeah, okay. I think people need a framework in which you can add knowledge, but you need to build the framework first. Okay. So the basic framework for how this all goes together. Now, I'm going to turn back to you and say, I remember working with this guy in financial services. He's in the IT function. And he is proposing the business wants, and he is proposing a massive change in how this humongous database of client information from all these different companies and data points, you can imagine if we're doing sort of trades, what that would look like. It's crazy and changing by the minute. Mm -hmm. And he's proposing a change in how that data is both refreshed and accessed. Okay. That's going to be efficient, bunch of things. But he goes around talking about it in language that nobody can get, understand why we need it, what it would mean, how much it's going to really cost, what it takes to serve it. And I remember saying to him that there are so many moving parts. You need to draw the equivalent of a mind map of all these moving parts that have to come together. And you need to walk around with your executives with that chart in front of you every single time. So that's what you're saying. Now, why engineers think in this way? Why don't they do this? Um, well, I think, I think um, and so this, this, this reminds me of uh, back when I was studying uh, public policy and one of our main, um, you know, um, training, one of our main pieces of training was how do you write a briefing 
that you can on a particular topic that you can give to the president of america or you know some secretary of state kind of type of person and within a one page it's called like a one pager briefing and they can understand the main arguments that they need to make a decision that's really critical right and it's about how you condense information and formulate the an argument and your pitch your thesis mm-hmm. um to a stakeholder right and that's a critical skill to have now if if you if you're faced with a technical expert who is not capable of formulating and distilling information that way the question it's it's, it's more frustrating there's uh, you know there's a longer road but the question the business owner needs to be keep needs to constantly asking is so what right that is the key golden question okay we need a new backend or we we need a new database system um why okay because this so what uh because that so what okay because that's gonna ultimately the story goes on and then because uh the current database is not going to be able to handle the business expansion that you're going to that you're planning for um and it's going to break down and your customer is going to be angry because the, the the whole system will be out of service for 5 weeks mm-hmm. okay okay that the business owner can understand like yeah i don't want the, the business to be out of service for 5 weeks all right uh, what do you need and why and then you keep asking so what and why like you just keep trying to make sense of um you know it's it's a long road there's there's no clear answer there's always multiple decision makers in these situations so you just kind of have to sit down and ask questions if the other side is not able to communicate efficiently yeah and by the so what question you don't mean the cynical so what comment you mean the so we can do what question yes what's the purpose yes. of doing this one yes. okay so why are we yes. doing this so that enables us to do what i guess is the best way yes. to describe it and to keep asking that now that also means that my technical people have to have a good bit of patience to sit through a business leader conversation for all of these questions so how do we get the technical people a little more understanding of what is needed of them Yeah well I think I think um that is a little harder I'll be honest because being willing to teach and so being willing to teach being patient being more empathetic it's hard to train somebody to be more empathetic I mean of course you can you can make people aware of how empathetic they are and why and they can be surprised like whoa I didn't know I was you know uh so stubborn or something so there's like i personally feel it's hard to get people to be more empathetic or be more patient in general uh but you can definitely make them aware uh okay. and this depends on this really goes into a more i think in some cases it's more fuzzy like who who corporate what culture you have in your organization what communication culture you have right do people like each other do people care for each other do they want to be heard you know do they want to listen um yeah i think on a more tactical front if you are empathetic and you just lack the tools to share and formulate ideas it's to um draw it up like a story mm-hmm. right draw it up like a story where the business stakeholder is the protagonist of the story right okay um so what i usually think is if you're trying to sell them um on a new system or you want them to spend on hiring five engineers that cost $200,000 a year each uh, that's a million dollar investment mm-hmm. um then you want to be able to tell them like hey 
you are here and you, you, you and you don't tell them about what it's, it's like a sales skill, right? You don't talk to them about the why and the how you talk to them about what they can accomplish. So the story is you are here and this is where you want to go. This is what you said you, you want to go here. And so as a company, we cannot go here unless, you know, this, this, and this happen. And I believe that the best way to have this and this happen is by hiring these five engineers who are rock stars in their field. And um, right. I understand, right. you know, not every engineer is a sales guy, but, uh, you know, okay. it's, it's the world, it's the market. We need to teach uh, sales skills to our, our technical teams, and we need to teach flowchart mapping to our business leaders. That would go a long ways, I'm suspecting, in your conversation. So let me go backwards in a question I asked you at the beginning. So as a business leader, I need to understand the big building blocks, the flow chart, and what happens from the front end to the back or back end to the front end, the servers, the databases, and everything that's involved in that. So I get a sense of how this particular process works. Is yeah. there anything else I need to understand as a business leader? Yeah, I think... Um... So, so there's always uh, this blind spot of new technology, right? There's always like, um, is machine learning or AI going to disrupt the entire business, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, for example, hotels were, uh, or like you have cab companies, like taxis, taxi companies that were disrupted by Uber, but nothing Uber did, they couldn't do themselves, right? Just a booking app or something like something right. like that would have made Uber. I think a little bit of curiosity and just knowing, trying to be curious enough or having somebody on your team be curious enough to learn about new technical trends that are coming up and what they could mean for the business, right? Mm-hmm. On a fundamental level, even if you don't forecast anything changing for the next 10 years, what they could potentially mean for the business and where the technology is at its current stage. I think a little bit of awareness and some CEOs are really good at this, uh, like Reed Hastings. He turned from a DVD mailing company to a streaming company um, for Netflix, right? Um, and then Amazon, like Jeff Bezos, he's really good at technical, like he's about AI, you know, he's on top of things. It, again, it's more of an attitude thing. Um, I know Mark Cuban spends a lot of time learning about new technologies in every domain so that he's on top. Um, yeah, but I think the latest, the, the biggest technologies of the time, like AI or blockchain, whatever it is, I think every leader should lo- know the basics. Okay. All right. So that is a perfect place to take a pause, take a break, and come back. Because what I'm going to come back and do is to say, so give us the two-minute tutorial on a couple of these technologies so that we know where to start. Because granted, nobody's going to become a specialist in machine learning, for example. But if you don't have a clue about what it does and how it achieves it, it's hard to even imagine where do I lean into this in my organization. So perfect point for a break. My guest today is Aman Argwal. He is president of Sanprem International one of the world's first, I would con- con, uh, argue with your first executive education company, but we could debate that. A passionate writer and teacher has worked as an engineer, has worked as a salesperson, has been in self-driving trucks in San Francisco, and has been into very large tech businesses. So he's seen many sides of this equation, both on the technical side as well as on the sales side. And we will be right back.
This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement, and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Amon Argwal. He's the um, president and founder of Sanpram Transnational. Now, we have been talking about technology and the fact that in every business these days, technology is becoming front and center, and it probably is going to be a bigger component of all of our businesses as years go on, whether you're small, medium-sized, or very large. We're not asking for our business leaders to become technical experts, meaning I don't want them to become engineers or computer programmers or go get a degree in any science or become a data scientist themselves. They have other jobs to do. But you also need to become a savvy consumer of the technical know-how in your organization. And that is not as daunting as it might sound. So as we've said, if you're talking about software, just understanding the basic flow from the front end to the back end of how that software works, like where are the component parts, not the mechanics of how the software works, but where's the database, how is the database accessed, what kind of devices are we serving it with, and what are the issues around that. We can fill in details and cost and timeline as time goes on. But I need the basic flow, in other words, to get there. And I loved your analogy of an architect. If I'm building a house, 
I don't need all the micro details that an architect gives to the construction engineer, but I do need the floor plan to kind of a sense of, do the rooms look about the right size and do they have the right kind of things in each of those rooms? And that's what we're talking about here is to understand the architecture, if you will, of the software, of the technology. Yep. And we get that. We would wish that our technical people would come to us with that architecture. That would be a wish. And if not, we ask, so you want to do this. Tell me why. Tell me what that allows me to achieve and so on until I get a picture of the building blocks. And then there's no substitute for taking a whiteboard and charting that out. So everybody can see it and say, yes, that's a reasonable picture. Okay, now you ended at the last segment talking about having a sense of curiosity. Just curious about the new tech that is coming out. So every business leader I know has picked up the jargon. So they will throw around machine learning, automation, digital Bitcoin, data science, coming and going, because it's become the new jargon, if you will. But I bet not many people have any understanding of what goes into each of those. I'm not going to ask you to tell us everything, but I'd like to take one of them that's hot at the moment that I think is in your specialty, and that's machine learning. So what's the concept, for those who don't know, what's the concept behind machine learning, and what do I need to know about it that is going to help me as a business leader? I see. So machine learning. So first of all, I think um, to give a quick review of what machine learning has accomplished over the last 10 years is it's been able to beat professional human players in strategic board games like Go. And this was considered to be decades uh, early for AI to accomplish. It's been able to... um, See, inst- see through walls by re- reading the Wi-Fi signals and how it bounces off signal off surfaces. Mm-hmm. It's been able to look through walls, um, and it's been able to you know do deep fakes, like it can put somebody else's face on somebody's, and so a lot of really cool stuff that people could not have imagined. Even the, the foremost experts of in the field. Uh, we're not on the same page about what AI is, is capable of. And it has more than, you know, shown a huge breadth of applications in the last five years. So I'm not going to be making any predictions about what use cases AI can be used for. I could, I could be surprised. I could be completely wrong about what AI can or cannot do over the next 10, 15 years, right? Um, what I will say is that the underlying technology, right, what it really comes down to is the concept of models, right? And this is something more non-technical. So for example, do you know that if you've seen the Lion King movie, the animated movie from I think 1992 or 1993, Mm -hmm. all the the lion roars that you heard in that movie were actually tiger roars, right? Because in reality, a lion's roar is like a lazy grumble and a tiger's roar is much more, much more, it has some high-pitched sounds and some frequencies that make it much more scary and much more, you know, bone-chilling. Uh, that's mm-hmm. um, what's considered. And so most lions, when you, when you hear them roar in a movie, it's actually a tiger. Okay? okay, I'll just let you know. But you couldn't distinguish, and you're surprised by this fact, because you don't really have a model in your mind, a frame, uh, uh, like an image of, or 
some model of what a tiger's roar looks like or what a lion's roar looks like, right? Okay. But we have a lot of models in, you know, as humans about all the things we have learned over time, mm-hmm. right? If you look at a picture of an elephant 50 to 100 times, and the next time we see an image of a woolly mammoth, which is not an elephant, you would probably guess it's an elephant, right? Because that's the model you have okay. of uh, what that shape of animal looks like. Um, and we, it's interesting to think about how many decisions in life we make on a day-to-day basis, both unconscious and conscious, based on what models we have stored in our brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the model is really trained by the data, by our pre- previous experiences uh, with that thing, right? You hear, see elephants again and again, you know what an elephant looks like. That's your model. So if you see it drawn on a paper or in a painting or in the flesh, it's, you know, you just use the same model. AI and machine learning is about using software to train such models, again, by using lots of similar data, right? So if you have, uh, to take one example, um, a model could even be what is the best strategy, what is the best move or the best strategy to play in this particular board game um, situation, right? What is the best move for the next play? So you have this board game, um, the arrangement yeah. as the input to the model and the brain gives you like, oh, this is the best strategy or these are the top five strategies, right? Okay. That's a model right. in your brain because which you've trained after playing for so long. Right. It turns out that computers can learn the same way um, using a technology called neural networks, which I won't get into. Um, but computers can do the same way, whether it's neural networks or other kinds of models, um, or whether it's just equations, some mathematical you know, stuff that goes in. Yeah. And I think what scares everybody together, is yeah. this mathematical stuff that goes in, and we come out with a model of the move that I make. But let me, can I simplify yeah. this and see if I'm somewhere sure. on track sure, sure, with this sure, one? Sure. If we're trying to train a machine or a computer to play a game like Go or chess, for that matter, what we're doing is training it the multiple patterns that could happen and the consequences for those patterns. And we build up over and over and over again with many, 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 many examples so that the computer learns what's high probability given move one that's going to make for move two. So we're basically building up a whole data bank of probabilities. Is that a reasonable summary in simplistic terms? Well, that's one way to do it. And that's, uh, that's one approach that was used for chess for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's about creativity and how you define the model, right? right. So when they beat uh, Go the first time, the first model that really beat defeated a human pro player in Go used models in a different way than the, than the current uh, high-end model that pl- plays go, right? So you could even shape it as, I need a model that can tell me if I'm winning or losing mm-hmm. be, just by looking at a board position, right? right? That's going to be my expert friend who can look at a board position and tell me, Aman, you have a 70% probability of losing, right. Right. Uh, regardless of what move you play, regardless of right. what move you make, Right. And there could be another model that says, okay, given this board position, these are the five best moves that you should be playing, right? right? If I combine these two models, Mm -hmm. these two friends, one gives me the top five moves, okay, that I could play from this position. 
And then I could ask the other friend who could just give me a probability like, hey, for each of these five moves, what is the probability of winning? Right. And so it tells I'm, you this one is 60, this one is 50. And that's how I choose, right? Okay. So I so, have multiple models yeah. that are going that I somehow tie together, not somehow, but that I tie together to give me a prediction of what's the next best move. But it Absolutely. all starts with um, simulating, if you will, the plausible options in a single move. Okay. All right. Now, there are places where I can imagine this kind of technology and business making a lot of sense, especially places like, let's say, in financial services, where I place bet after bet after bet after bet. You could see how that might be a useful model. Or where I'm using a large database, let's say, in the healthcare system, and I want to know what's the best choice for a given patient in a given moment in time and lots of individual variability. And so I could see that that would work. Yeah. But your view, do you think machine learning is applied to, is applicable to every business or not yet? Well, every business is, in a sense, a list of 100, 200, whatever things that need to be done, right? To put it at the core. Every business is like a list of things that need to be delegated or done by yourself or done by software, done by human in Indonesia or um, in your office, whatever, right? And AI is just a tool, a software tool that could take on some of those tasks where instead of giving it to a human being, uh, you could now, which would have been much very expensive, now you can give to a machine and now it's possible to do it much cheaper. Okay. All right. Right? Yeah. So if a business leader is interested in learning a tad bit more about machine learning, what's the best way to go about doing this or AI or neural networks or whatever it is? I don't think you want to send them to an engineering class. Do you have a source you recommend people go to? Um, well, yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of, uh, so, so definitely there's not a lot of uh, um, really business focused um, mm-hmm. simple content. It's usually their consultants who are trying to, you know, polish right. their words and like say, hey, we understand AI. You're not going to understand it really well. Let this hire us to do it yeah, for right, you. Right, right. Um, I think there's a, uh, the chief decision scientist of Google. Her name is Cassie and her uh, last name is, I think, um, European. So I, I'm not going to pronounce it. But uh, she has a, a great course called Making Friends with Machine Learning, okay. which I believe is completely free. Uh, and it, I think it's on YouTube. So I think that would be a good place to you know, explore and start. And of okay. course, as a shameless plug at uh, Sanpram, you know, it's our specialty teach people about these things. So we have a lot of free resources. Okay. Which would all, which would all-, all right. Sanpram also. So the chief data scientist at Google, um, her first name is Kathy, at least, but I'm imagining if you go to YouTube, you I'm, I'm going to send you that. the, yeah, I'm going to send you yeah, the link. Or yep. check and to Sanpram, either one will be fine. Okay, so there's a bit of curiosity about what's out there, a bit of talking to people about what they've seen, how they've used it. So that genuine curiosity that business leaders are pretty good at when they're thinking about going into a new market or adopting a new technology. Not to try to become the technical expert themselves, but to understand the general principles of how this fits together. Okay, great. And we've already talked about our technical specialists. So um, and the fact that it would be helpful if they would learn how to think more like salespeople so that they could paint a story of we want to adopt this t- new technology and it's here's what's going to happen 
for you as the business leader. And here's the journey it's going to take us on. And here's what it's going to enable us to do at the end of the day. So I'm doing that in a classic sales oriented way. There's a story that people can hear. And it would be lovely if our technical specialists could come with this beautiful flowchart map or mind map that explains the building blocks and how they all fit together. And so we can teach those skills to the technical specialist. All right, I'm going to shift gears from the technical area and talk about style for a minute. And I'm going to be grossly unfair to everybody. Okay. All right. So if I overgeneralize first about our technical leaders, and again, I don't care whether they're engineers, computer programmers, data scientists, whatever, they're technical leaders who are often individual contributors, Mm-hmm. So they're, they're doing their own thing, and they may be leading teams, but they're clearly leading from a base of expert. They know more about it than anybody else, and they do. Um, and they tend to believe that business leaders want everything yesterday with no sense of what it takes to get there, no clear specifications. And when they come mm-hmm. to ask about specifications, they don't get honest, good answers that help them understand how to make the trade-offs. Um, and a communication style that from a business leader's point of view is way too micro-detail oriented. It's hard to get the big story. And every time you ask a question, you tend to get an edge. And quite honestly, if I'm overgeneralizing, they'd rather not talk, except to Mm -hmm. their technical specialist. Mm -hmm. So help us as business leaders, how how do we deal with this overgeneralization I just made, unfair generalization I just made about technical leaders? What do I do as a business leader to now talk to this group, apart from the value map that we've already talked about? Well, first, I'll somewhat validate um, the generalization. Because since I'm, you know, constantly interviewing a lot of CTOs and working with them, I do hear the same theme very often that, a very inquisitive business manager is actually detrimental to their efficiency and speed of just engineering and doing their uh, running their sausage factory, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, right? Um, from a business owner's standpoint, I think, again, it's about understanding. So, for example, Steve Jobs was, you know, once famously um, spent several days uh, working with his chief uh, Chief Designer John John Ive on the right shade of white for the iPhone, right? Um, because that's something that he finds critical to the business, to the overall what Apple really was, right? He believes that wow, I need to be a micromanager or whatever mm-hmm. for some things that I just cannot just delegate completely or outsource completely to anybody else, um, right? So the first thing is you have to understand your own business well enough to know which things you can completely delegate. You know, I don't care, run the sausage factory, however you want. And which things are so critical to your business that you need to have a say, you need to know what's going on there. You need to be a student of your trade and your trade is, you know, it's been the same for 50,000 years, whatever. You do something for your customers and they give you money or somebody, something else in return. And you know how you, what kind of deal you're offering. So if, if what you're, de- you're working with, if the, if, the, if the technology you're working with is a big part of the deal you're offering to your customers, mm-hmm. then it's something that, sh- that you should know about, right? Mm-hmm. If design is the big deal, then you should know more about design. And it's about, 
again, you should trust people to do the best job if you have hired, you know, great people. But then it's up to your judgment. If you if you feel that, you know, you don't really need to know that the data the reality of like what goes on in the database and how it works and why. Um, sure, like just let it go. Like don't interfere. But if it's about uh, you know something else, for example, Jeff Bezos, even though he's a running an e-commerce company, he's a business guy, he was pretty uh, um, stubborn, I, I would say, or maybe uh, more more insistent on microservices. This concept of microservices, right? Um, which was a technical decision for the company, but he believed that you know given the company's roadmap and what he forced, what he saw as the vision, he wanted Amazon to have everything architectured as a microservice, right? So again, it's about how, how you see your business and your role within the business that's going to give you the answer of how much you should know. Okay. And knowing yourself, like, do I, like if you're a micromanager, it's, it's difficult to let go, but you know, Right. Uh, micromanagers doesn't doesn't help anybody get very far yeah. very fast. So I'm not interested in uh, touting that one. But you are making you, what you're saying is it is a business leader's decision, instinct, wisdom over years, belief about the marketplace and what's going to keep you competitive over the long run to decide what aspect of all of this technology is actually going to be critical for our business, and then to know a bit more about that component. And yeah. now we're back to, it's hard to know what's going to be critical, especially going forward, if I don't learn a little bit and get a little curious about some of these technologies. Okay. Right. All right. Fair enough. Um, any other advice that you would give to technical leaders in their efforts to communicate with business leaders and to help business leaders understand why a component is important needs their attention, anything else you would offer there in terms of advice? Advice to technical leaders. I think yeah. um, I, would, I would hesitate on giving any more advice as you know, compared to like what I've already talked about, which is you need to be um, um, an, an evangelist, a business stakeholder. You need to convince people, you need to sell internally to your internal customers um, why you're making those choices, um, so having a little bit of, a bit of business savvy or being interested in the people you work with uh, always helps. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you don't care what the salespeople care about, if you don't care what the CEO cares about, what the marketing and the design folks care about, you're not really then you're like you're you're still a technical leader, but you're not really a company leader. Like you're just an engineer in the company, and to be a technical leader part of your job is to understand what other stay, other people around you do and what matters to them. Right. Okay. Um, that's what t- con- differentiates an executive from an engineer or a, 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 I like a contributor. Right? I like that distinction that if I want to be a technical leader, as opposed to just an engineer who's sitting at my desk doing my engineering, then I have to know what is happening in the business. I have to care about what each of the car- folks within the business are doing and what matters to them, okay? We could argue that in many ways, what you need to do as a technical leader is to build your own value chain or mind map for how the business serves customers. Like, who are we serving? What is it they're buying? What are the key decision-making that's going to affect that 
profitability at the end of the day. I mean, you could create a mind map for the business as easily as a business leader could create a mind map for the technological platform. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go out on a field, on a limb here, um, a tiny bit. So everybody's talking about digitalization, and I have been told by various technical leaders that the word digitalization is an old word. Is it or isn't it? Um, I don't hear it very often, so <laughs> not sure if my opinion uh, worked. But yeah, I think it makes some sense um, the way you say it, digitalization. Uh, but it's so vague that it kind of like becomes a not so useful word, (laughs) I guess, depending on the context. Yeah. It's almost sounding to me like these days that digital says I'm with it. I'm on the current edge. I know that it's important. So in effect, what you're saying is technologically oriented, which is not terribly helpful. So when we're thinking about digitalization, we mm-hmm. think about automating processes. So that's the machine mm-hmm. learning that we were just talking about. We're talking about artificial intelligence where machines replace the thinking power of some components of human behavior, the routinized compute components of human behavior. I think we're also talking about automation of what I do as an individual worker on a day-to-day and how can I automate pieces of that, whether it's in an Excel spreadsheet or just a simple automation. We're also talking about the data, what kind of data we have available, how we're using that data, what insights we're drawing from that data. Um, Obviously, there's robotics. How do we use robotics? If you're in an industry or in a space where robotics has some sense, we're seeing all sorts of those crop up in the world with uh, retail as well as uh, manufacturing has been there for eons, but all sorts of other interesting things coming. Any other places we should be aware of? For automation? Oh no! For in general, in the technology. Um. Yeah, I think I think, um, and this is more specific to AI. Um, I think a lot of models now can generate new ideas to help creatives be more creative, and uh, you know, filter out new ideas very quickly. So I think that's where, like, a lot of like machines that can crunch a lot of data can produce insights that can actually make the criti- the creative process much more efficient and effective. So I think that's one trend that I'm foreseeing to become stronger over the, ni- over the next five years. I think I'm correct in this statement that pharmaceutical companies a number of years ago developed algorithms for testing all sorts of variations on a chemical and testing them all simultaneously so that we can do hundreds of variations on a chemical and see which one apply. And that it's that speed, that automated speed of doing that sort of mass testing that has led to some of the breakthroughs that we're seeing currently in drugs. Um, I'm assuming, if not, I'm sure one of my pharmaceutical clients will be in touch with me and say, Wanda, excuse me, that wasn't a good description. (laughs) All right, 30 seconds. What takes you out of your comfort zone? Not having a schedule. Not having a clear routine in my head. Um, because I'm all about process. I'm all about the process by which I can achieve something or get something done. And as soon as I lose track of what the process is, and I'm just, I, I, like, I, it's like I'm in a dog race looking at the finish line, but I don't have a rabbit to chase. Um, that's what really gets me out of my comfort zone. 
I think you just gave us a big clue about how to interface with our technical colleagues because I suspect you are not alone in liking to have the process and knowing what the flow is, what's happening next, what are we going for, what does the end look like, and some steps that we're following milestones at least along the way that we know what the process is looking like. And my experience with technical leaders is that they get frustrated in the change in the process, especially when it changes and changes and changes, as business always does. All right. I'm in fascinating conversation about technology. Amon Arwell is our uh, guest today. The, his company, he's the founder and president of Senpram Transnational, which does educational services. He's a writer and teacher. He's also been an engineer working in self-driving trucks in Silicon Valley. And he's been a B2B sales executive in two very large technical companies. I think what's most fascinating to me about this discussion is the general notion for both technical leaders and business leaders to create this flowchart or what are the big blocks that are happening either in the technology or in the business and how are they connected? So a mind map, if you will, or a flowchart map and using that as a starting place to be able to add more detailed information or to have intelligent conversations about what really matters. So Amon, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, and join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. If you'd like to know more about this and technically or details about how to advance your skills as a non-expert leader, check out our new website, outofthecomfortzone.com. We've got a number of tools for you there as well. And we'll talk to you next week with more insights on spanning leadership. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.